Welcome to the JCBC Podcast. My name is Sean, and I'm so grateful that you found our podcast. Listen, the JCBC Podcast is a collection of several sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. I pray that as you find these sermons and you listen to them, they would meet you where you are in your journey. And I trust that God will do something in these words to lift up your head, if only for a little while. So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. Today I want to talk about the very important topic in a specific, unique, kind of particular way about freedom. Freedom. And the text is simply one passage of scripture from Galatians chapter 5. We hear these words, for freedom... Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Therefore, stand firm and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Today I want to talk about freedom, but in a particular kind of way. Every time we gather around a holiday weekend like this, our minds are fixed on the freedoms that we enjoy and the freedoms for which we are grateful. But do you know it's important from time to time to remind ourselves that the freedoms that we cherish so deeply are not given to us by government not given to us by any nation or any system of politics, but they are given to us by God. Inherent in humankind itself is the God-given gift of, of freedom. And it's, it's nations and governments and, and systems of political power that preserve and protect those freedoms But even embedded within the very preamble of the Declaration of Independence, we hear these words, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Among these, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. Endowed by our creator, are we, with gifts of freedom. And our conviction is those freedoms come from God and must be preserved and protected. That's why Frank, uh, that's why um, Victor Frankel once was known to say that we have in this country a statue of liberty that has been erected on the east coast of the United States as a beacon of hope to all the world that in this land there are liberties for all people. But he said maybe it would be appropriate to erect a statue of responsibility on the east or the west coast so that a nation is flanked with the responsibility or the awareness that with great freedom comes great responsibility. The freedoms we enjoy must be stewarded, cared for. There is a responsibility for them. And today, I wanna talk theologically about that fact. Because you are sitting this morning in a Baptist church. And at the heart of what it means to be Baptist, I can reduce all the theological 
sensibilities of what it means to be Baptist to one word, freedom. Freedom. We are not a creedal people. We don't have a creed to which we must assent in order to belong to this Baptist church. There's not a checklist of things that you have to agree wholeheartedly with every, every jot and tittle. But what we have instead historically are living, breathing principles, convictions of certain freedoms that we cherish. And nowhere have those freedoms been more beautifully articulated, more cogently, coherently, succinctly delineated than in the work of Walter Sheridan, the Baptist identity for fragile freedoms. And he describes the four fragile freedoms as soul freedom, Bible freedom, church freedom, and religious freedom. Freedom. So this morning I want to talk to you about the four fragile freedoms of our Baptist experience. And the reason I want to do that in the time that's remaining is for two reasons. Number one, we're prone to forget. And number two, the time could not be more appropriate because there is, even now within our nation, some circles within the Christian family who under the banner of Jesus would wed their faith in Jesus with an unbridled nationalism that could create a Christian nationalism that blurs the line between who is Lord and where do I live? And this morning, I wanna talk to you about who is Lord. And I wanna do that by talking about each of the four fragile freedoms because it is part of my calling as your shepherd to shepherd our collective consciousness about who we are, where we've come from, and where we are going. So first, soul freedom. Soul freedom essentially is this conviction that you are created with an inherent dignity of soul. That you were made with the capacity to know God and to be known by God. Now, soul freedom goes by different names. We have different ways to describe soul freedom. Sometimes we describe it as soul competency. In other words, your soul is competent to know God. It's made with the capacity to be known by God. We also refer to it as a liberty of conscience, which means that you are free You are free to be in relationship with your maker. And and we're we're part of a system that so deeply believes that that we see it embedded in all of scripture at creation. God creates individuals and walks with them in the cool of their day. Soul freedom. But then we see it again in Joshua and he's there at the brink of stepping into the promised land and he puts forth a declaration of soul freedom. He says, choose you this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We see it in Jeremiah when God speaks to the exiles who are broken because of the dark night of exile and he says there was a time When I used to write my law on tablets of stone, but there is coming a time when I will write my law on your hearts. 
Soul freedom is the freedom to allow God to write God's own name upon your heart. It's soul freedom that we see in the New Testament and Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he says, who do people say that I am? And they say, well, some say that you're a, you're a prophet, like come back from the dead, like John the Baptist or Elijah. But then he says, he asks a question of soul freedom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But who do you say that I am? And that's where we get the great Petrine confession, Peter's confession, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. It is soul freedom that echoes across the centuries to, well, to the Reformation where Martin Luther, sick and tired of seeing a corrupt system keep people away from God rather than empowering them to come near God, He begins to read Ephesians 2 with brand new eyes. For it is by grace you personally, individually, as a human created in God's own image, you have been saved through faith. Soul freedom is the capacity to express your faith in Christ. It's soul freedom that made its way to England and a businessman by the name of Thomas Helwes and a minister by the name of John Smith We're tired of attempting to live a free faith in a government that would impose a religion on the state. And so as a group of separatists, these Baptist forebearers of ours with with dissent in their DNA moved away to Holland and they worshiped freely and they served freely and they, they, they lived and loved freely because faith in Christ can never be coerced by power, only persuaded by love. And it was there, over many years, they developed the belief that, well, not even your mom and dad can choose your faith for you. That even your baptism must be a choice of your own free volition and will. So John Smith, having never been baptized freely as believer's baptism, he baptizes himself and then baptizes all those in his congregation for the first time practicing what we practice today, believer's baptism, because you are free to choose. But with that freedom comes responsibility. With that freedom is the responsibility to exercise that freedom. That's why at Johns Creek, every time a newcomer comes to our church during our newcomer orientation or let's eat or these events where we get to know you and you get to know us, you hear me say consistently at JCBC, we're not gonna do your faith for you. It is on you to own your journey. Every tub's gotta sit on its own bottom And that's why we agree with the Apostle Paul in the second chapter of Philippians when he says you must work out your salvation in fear and trembling. And when he's talking, or when the writer of Colossians is talking about the mysteries of God, we hear it put this way, to them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of his mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And this is why Paul in 1 Corinthians says, do you not know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's own spirit dwells in you? Beloved, at the core of soul freedom is this deep conviction that in you is the presence and action of God, but also in you is the call to wake up to that and respond to it, to do something about it. 
It used to be a old spiritual we used to sing, right? It's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. It's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. You know what? It's not my mother, not my father, but it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. It's not my mother, not my father, but it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer because soul freedom calls us to take ownership over our own existence in God and to respond, what will you do with your free soul? The second freedom that we cherish that gives us shape and identity and formation as Baptist peoples is Bible freedom. Now, one of the ways to describe Bible freedom sounds like this. Bible freedom is the historic Baptist affirmation that the Bible under the lordship of Christ must be central in the life of the individual and church and that Christians with the best and most scholarly tools of inquiry are both free and obligated to study and obey the scriptures. Free and obligated. And I love the way it describes Bible freedom, that under the lordship of Jesus, see, some of us elevate the Bible into a place of lordship. We call that Bible <laughs> That's the idolatry of the Bible. This is the written word, but Christ alone is the word of God. So through the lens of Christ, we interpret the scripture. We apply it to our lives and are convicted and are shaped and formed by it. But under the lordship of Christ, we are free to access and understand it. You know, so many of us uh, spend our lives dedicated to the study of this, this book. I mean, some of us go away and the church puts your hand on our heads and say, you know, you're set apart to do a thing for us, lead us, now go know something about this book. And we go spend some considerable time knowing something about the book. But you know that Baptists understand that though clergy are charged with the pro proclamation of the word, the laity are not off the hook. This is your book. And one of the best ways to understand what Bible freedom is is to feel what it feels like for that freedom to be challenged. For example, I had a seminary professor who he went to do a weekend seminar at this uh, small country church and he was one of the most brilliant men I have ever known, one of my favorite professors of all time and he knew this book. And so he showed up and he tried to test them a little bit. He said, hey, as we begin our weekend together, let me just tell you, I've spent a considerable amount of time studying this book and, and I, I have a certain authority about how to interpret its pages. So if we can just agree that what I say it means, it means, then we'll make some progress this weekend. At which point, a little old lady in the back of the church grabs onto the pew, slowly pulls herself up, raises her hand and says, uh, I ain't gonna do it. <laughs> and, he, and he said, thank you for illustrating my point. This is your book. You have the freedom of accessing it, but the responsibility of digging down into it. There's no better way to understand Bible freedom than to have it threatened I served a church in Tennessee, and before I did, um, about a decade and a half before I was there, the church split. 
A pastor was taking them down a very conservative, almost fundamentalist type pathway, and they were going to vote on which direction they should go. And at the end of worship, they were going to make a vote. Do we continue down this direction or not? At the end of the service, he made a line of scrimmage decision, a bad one. He held up the book and he said, we're about to vote, but a vote against me is a vote against this book. You feel that groan that you just, that makes you a Baptist. Because then the vote began and he said, I want my people to stand with me. And one by one, they started standing. Uh, those who understood Bible freedom but not Bible responsibility. They began to stand and then, and then they ran down the hall, some of them, and went to the nursery and said, you better get in here. They're voting and women with babies on both hips come into to cast their vote in protest of the violation of conscience that they were feeling. They groaned too. And by 14 votes, they protected their church that day. Bible freedom is the capacity to understand you have access to the wisdom of this book, but with it comes the responsibility of digging down deep to understand what it actually means. Penrose Sonamon said it this way, Baptists are peoples with open Bibles and open minds. Open Bibles and open minds. Minds and it requires both because I have met plenty of people who love Jesus and love the Bible, but they're so committed to the Bible in an unexamined way that they think somehow fidelity to the book is the highest moral standard when they've barely read it. The truth is, there's a difference between reading the Bible literally and literarily. There's a difference between taking it literally and taking it seriously. Because in this book, there is poetry and there is prose. There are love letters. There is there's some steamy parts to this Bible. And there, there's symbolism and literalism. Sometimes people will ask me, well, do you take the Bible literally? I say, well, in some places, yeah. Like when Jesus says, if you have two coats and you see someone who has none, you should give them one of yours. That's, I think he's serious about that. And when he says, hey, if you want to know me at all, then when you see a hungry person, give them food, thirsty person, give them drink, uh, an unwelcomed person, welcome them, someone sick and in prison, visit them. I think he literally means that. But there are some places in scripture that require the difficult and arduous task under the lordship of Jesus and by the guidance of the spirit to in community with one another work out our understanding of what these scriptures mean because the Bible is better than what we sometimes treat it to become as, as a weapon. It, yes, it's sharper than every, any two-edged sword, but that two-edged sword is meant to groom ourselves and not pierce the other. And sometimes we will take the Bible and cherry-pick verses out of context in order to prop up a preconceived conviction about something that we already have. Bible freedom means you have the freedom to access it, yes, but you have the responsibility to dig deep, to learn about its contours, to learn something about where it came from over hundreds of years of developing to get to where we are now. A book doesn't survive like that unless it actually works. The Bible is the anvil upon which many a hammer has been worn. And at JCBC, I, I'm a pastor who wants his people to wear out their hammers on this book 
so that we raise up a generation of biblically literate children and young men and young women who understand that this is far more mysterious and powerful than a casual reading. That's Bible freedom. But then, if you actually believe in soul freedom, the inherent dignity of soul to know God and be known by God, and if you believe in Bible freedom, the ability to hold a Bible in your own hands and discern together what that may mean, then you also believe in church freedom. That means that you will want to gather with others who have the same conviction that there is inherent dignity in each other and that we all have the capacity together to discern the meaning of scripture. Church freedom. Church freedom is, well, if I could put it this way, defined, church freedom sounds like this. Church freedom means each local church has the freedom and responsibility to interpret scripture, select its own leaders, and make its own decisions in matters related to church governance. That means you, you get to choose your leaders. It means you get to decide together what a particular passage means. We gather around this book and we bring all of our life experiences to the table and through the lens of Christ we attempt to understand what it means to the very best of our ability. And that's church freedom. Well, also, as he awkwardly checks his notes, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, That means we are a gathered community. That means you don't have to be here. That means that, that, that we are a volunteer community. Church freedom means you are free to be here and you are free to not be here. Like the worn out joke of the shipwrecked Baptist when he was finally rescued and they found he had three huts and he took them on a tour and said, well, this one is where I live. They said, well, what's this one? This is where I go to church. What's this third one? That's where I used to go to church. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you for laughing. We're a volunteer community. That means we, we don't have to be here. But, but if we have the freedom to be here, we have the responsibility to actually show up, to not simply be here and share our opinions, to be here. This isn't Burger King, by the way. You don't get it your way right away. That's not church freedom. Church freedom is I have skin in the game. I have invested my life here. I am here when they're here. I have helped to carry the load and I'm a part of a group trying to do life together. That's freedom and responsibility together. I love what the London Confession of Particular Baptists of 1644 said. We confess that we know in part and that we are ignorant of many things which we desire to seek to know And if any shall do us that friendly part to show us from the word of God that which we do not see, well, we shall have cause to be thankful to God and them. Beloved, church freedom is risky. It means sometimes we get it right, sometimes we get it wrong. We're not part of a system like like an Episcopal system where the authority is found in a bishop or an individual We're not part of a presbytery where authority is found in a group of individuals. We are part of a congregational system, which means the authority isn't found in the pews, where together we discern the will of God under the lordship of Jesus through the conviction of the spirit as we read scriptures. That's church freedom. It means that everybody has a voice. Can I tell you where I first learned this? I was 16 years old. 
And I was going to a church where we did church all the time, you know, Sunday, Wednesday, Sunday, Wednesday. But on Sundays, like Sunday school, then 11 o'clock. But, but then four o'clock youth choir, five o'clock what? Church training, six o'clock evening worship. And then seven o'clock, the youth had a fellowship called Afterglow. <laughs> the most awkward name for a youth fellowship. And I noticed one day that we had a business meeting coming up. I had been to some business meetings. This wasn't my first. But I thought, you know, I think I'll be ready for the business meeting. 16 years old. So I read the church's constitution and bylaws. I was a really cool kid. (laughs) And I noticed that that church allotted for four times a year they would have the Lord's Supper. That was it, four times a year, whether they needed it or not. Four times, steady, a year. And I thought that they ought to give some allowance to the pastor to call an audible that if the church is going through a thing and we need some unity, maybe he should be able to call together a service of communion if it's not on the calendar. And so we came to the business meeting and they opened the floor for a discussion, open business, and I I raised my hand. And they called on me, I explained what I just explained to you and the moderator who was the pastor said, well, do you wanna put that in the form of a motion? I said, sure. I moved that and I explained the thing again. And then as you know Robert's rules of order, you have to have a second in order to entertain discussion. I put it in the form of a motion and he said, is there a second? Crickets. Finally, after an awkward moment or two, one of the elders of the church, old deacon, been there forever, said, I'll second the motion. And then the moderator said, well then, okay, is there any discussion? Sean, would you like to speak to that further? And I did, I gave all my reasons. I waxed eloquent. I was like, I had this argument in place. And at the end, is there any other discussion? Crickets, okay. All in favor, say aye. And 16-year-old me said, aye. All opposed, nay, the entire church, nay. Yeah. And then after the meeting, the the old deacon came to me, shook my hand and said, hey, I was proud of you. That was well done. I said, proud of me? You voted nay. He said, I know. It's because I think it's a bad idea. He said, but you had something to say and we needed to hear it. That's church freedom. Freedom. The freedom to actually be a part of the congregation, to have a voice, to not just have the freedom to do that, but to take the responsibility of making a move, stepping forward, engaging the real life of the church. That's church freedom. And that leads us to our final freedom, religious freedom. Historically, Baptists have been long time, ardent champions of religious liberty, but not just for themselves, for all. For all, whether they are the dominant religion or the minority religion, whether they believe like we or not. That's why we have been, we've been for religious freedom for religion, religious freedom from religion, religious freedom of religion. We, we have been champions for all because of the nature of faith, The nature of faith is voluntary. You cannot come to Christ genuinely by coercion, but you come to Christ through the persuasion of love. 
That's why we have historically been champions of the separation of church and state. Another way to say that is that we believe in a free church in a free state. And then some of you, I know, but hey, separation of church and state doesn't exist in the Constitution. There's no phrase that says separation of church and state in the Constitution. I know. But while we're at it, the word Trinity doesn't exist in the Bible either. (laughs) But the evidence of a Trinitarian God who loves us and comes to us in three kinds of ways does exist, just like the wheat in the field You can't see the wind, but you see the the effect of the wind on the wheat. And it's there, but that's not even why we have been ardent champions of the separation of church and state. We are ardent champions of the separation of church and state because it's a bad idea. The worst thing that happened to the church in the fourth century is when Constantine made it the state religion. I mean, just decades before, Christians who were ardent followers of Jesus were being persecuted and martyred and just just a matter of decades later, they were not only not martyred and not persecuted, but now you kind of had to be a Christian in order to own property. You had to be a Christian to run for any kind of office. Now suddenly, being a Christian was politically expedient, which is exactly what it is today. I don't care what political stripe you have on all sides of every color of purple, we use religion for political expediency. And if we're not careful, if we don't remember our history, we will allow what I called earlier a rising Christian nationalism to blur the lines of true faith and authentic citizenship. Man, if I had some time today, it's 12.01. I'd tell you about John Clark, Obadiah Holmes, Isaac Bacchus, Baptist preachers in Virginia who were arrested, who were jailed, who in some cases were publicly whipped in the streets for for proclaiming that religion should be exercised freely and separate from government intrusion. If I had time, I'd tell you about Roger Williams who was kicked out of the Massachusetts Bay Colony because he had the audacious claim that Jews and Indians and what he called Turks, Muslims, should be able to worship freely and not have to succumb to the coercion of the state religion in Massachusetts. They kicked him out, so he he moved to New Hampshire. Uh, I mean, Rhode Island. He moves to Rhode Island and he starts a little town called Providence as a sanctuary city for religious minorities. And he begins the first Baptist Church of America in Providence, a sanctuary city that had as its anchor a Baptist church preserving and protecting the rights and freedoms of human beings to worship as God calls them to worship. That is our forebearer in the faith. Religious freedom means standing up for those who are in the minority and cannot stand up for themselves because otherwise what kind of God would be a God who would force belief rather than in the context of true freedom persuade belief? I'd tell you about John Leland who in 1791 in this wonderful writing in the rights of, he wrote it in the rights of conscience inalienable. Listen to what he said. I love this. You can hear a little Baptist preacher snark in here. Government has no more to do with the religious opinions of men 
than it has to do with the principles of mathematics. He goes on to say, let every man speak freely without fear, maintain the principles he believes, worship according to his own faith, either one God, three gods, no gods, or 20 gods, and let government protect him in so doing. That is a Baptist preacher who understands that authentic worship is the only kind of worship. I could tell you about E.Y. Mullins if I had some time in the 1920s. In 23, this is what he says, Baptists believe in religious liberty for themselves, but they believe in it equally for all men. With them, it is not only a right, it is a passion. While we have no sympathy with atheism or agnosticism or materialism, wait, hold that slide for the back, I just love that. Go back to that last slide. Atheism, agnosticism, and materialism. Right? The great evils of the day. It's, well, I don't have any tolerance for these. I'm not saying that they're right. He says, well, while we may have no sympathy for them, go on to the next slide, we stand for the freedom of the atheist, the freedom of the agnostic and the materialist in his religious or irreligious convictions. Jesus is asked one day, is it proper to give taxes to Caesar? He says, well, give me a coin. He looks at the coin. He says, whose image is on the coin? They say, well, Caesar's. And then he says, render to Caesar what is Caesar's and render to God what is God's. And in 1920, when the famed Baptist statesman, George W. Truett, he was on the the steps of the Capitol building addressing members of Congress and a massive crowd about the separation of church and state. He, at the time, was the, the pastor of the First Baptist Church of Dallas. And he had these words to say about that passage and rendering to Caesar what is Caesar's. He says, that was one of the most revolutionary and history-making utterances that ever fell from those lips divine. That utterance, once and for all, marked the divorcement of church and state. Baptists make this contention not only for themselves, but as well for all others. For Protestants of all denominations, for Catholics, for Jews, for Quakers, for Muslims, for pagans, for all men everywhere. It is the consistent and insistent contention of our Baptist people always and everywhere that religion must forever be voluntary and uncoerced and that it is not the prerogative of any power, whether civil or ecclesiastical, to compel anyone to conform to any religious creed of worship. God wants free worshipers and no other kind. Amen. God wants free worshipers and no other kind. That's why we must be diligent not only to exercise the freedom of religion that we have, but to be responsible and steady and vigilant in the spaces of our own lives when we see that it becomes a threat to religious minorities even if we benefit from the thing. You picking up what I'm putting down? Yeah, so these are freedoms that we cherish, but freedoms for which we are responsible. That means of all the freedoms that you have been given, it is up to you to do something about it, to take a step, to make a decision. And maybe today is the day that you make a decision. 